the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am Alex Fitton and I am here to showcase people in the adoption world doing the very best work there is. You can find me on Facebook at Alex Fitton and the Adoptive Mom Podcast and on Instagram at the Adoptive Mom. You are listening to episode six of season six, episode 84 overall. Today, we are sitting down to have a very important conversation with Ebony Clayton about race and ethnicity in adoption. Ebony is a social worker and an adoptive mom, and as a black woman adopting her Hispanic daughter, she has so much wisdom to share with us on preserving the beauty and importance of our kids' culture and ethnicity. I can't wait for you guys to listen and learn from Ebony, or Ebby, as her social media handles would tell us to call her. But first, I want to let you guys know about something really cool happening in the AMP shop. So last year I released the newest design in the shop, the warrior mom tee, and you guys have loved it. So today, like literally as of this episode airing, the brand new design is live in the store. It features a quote that I say very often, which is that we are punching trauma in the face with our yes to Jesus. And you can check out the punching trauma in the face tea at the adoptive mom slash shop right now. And now let's go talk to Ebony Clayton. All right, everyone, welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to my guest today, and I actually just met her too. Um, with that said, welcome to the show, Ebony. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Good. Okay. So all of your stuff says Ebony, but then your Instagram is Ebby. Which one do you prefer? Um, Ebony's fine. Ebony's fine. So I'm, um, my profession is social worker and I do therapy. So whenever I do anything on social media, especially if it's my private page, I use my nickname. So clients can't find me. So (laughs) at least my personal information. (laughs) That's like teachers or yeah, like, yeah, I get it. I get that. Totally. So, um, good to know, but yeah, welcome Ebony. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, gosh. Um, So my name is Ebony Clayton. I'm a social worker. I um, currently live in New Mexico. Um, My hubby has us out here because he is active duty. And so um, it's beautiful out here, but I am in the middle of nowhere. I'm a city girl. (laughs) So it's a little bit of an adjustment, but... um, Other than that, um, we have our little girl that we'll be talking about, and um, we're in the process of adopting her, uh, and we just, we love um, outdoor stuff. I love the arts, painting, things like that, so yeah, not much to me, I don't think, but hey. (laughs) 
I mean, it sounds like you have a lot. Go- like, that's really cool that you you move around a lot. Um, you're living in a really hot state. Like, I could not handle that much heat. And it's pretty dry, though, right? At least it's not humid. It is very dry here. Um, so much so that I have to order special lotion just to keep my skin from cracking. It is very, very dry. And the water is horrible. Mm. Yeah. That's a hard pass for me. So yeah, you're you're being a very good wife. (laughs) I long for humidity. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. And then, okay. So I did have to ask you, so, uh, being a social worker, in what division do you work in? Oh gosh. Well now I'm just, I have my own private practice. And so I'm doing, um, just straight therapy, but I have worked in child and family services before, um, foster care adoptions. Um, I've done the whole gamut when it comes to children and families and a lot of in-home services, supportive type roles and things like that. Okay. And that's really fascinating to me because so many people that are in the social work area, um, I feel like you're doing so much already, you know? And so I'm really excited to hear your story about why you were like, it's not enough. Like I got to do the foster care thing. I got to do adoption too. And I I love hearing um, those who do step out and say like, I want more. I want to do more. I want to get my hands, you know, all up in this, so to speak. Um, And, and the, the reasons behind that. So I'm really fascinated about that. And with that said, can you just tell us your story about how you got into this adoption thing and then where you guys are at now? Okay. Um, gosh. So my husband and I, we always knew that we were going to adopt even before we got married. We talked about, um, children. We talked about adopting. I knew I was going to adopt before I even met him and he was adopted. So he knew that he was going to adopt, um, as well. And so when we came together, it was just, it was, it was perfect. You know, we both had the same goals with regards to still wanting our own biological children, but also wanting to give back, um, and adopt as well. And so when we moved here, um, I was not working and I did not think I was going to work because I left my private practice, uh, in the state that we moved from. And, um, I just stayed home. So I thought, well, this would be a good time to foster. You know, we weren't really thinking too much about adoption. Um, so we went through the process to become foster parents and we had two short-term placements. And let me tell you, being on the other side is completely different than being a social worker and working with families and helping them through the foster process or the adoptive process, um, or even with post-adoptive services. It is just completely different sitting in this seat. And um, those two placements, those first two placements, even though they were short-term, were so difficult for us. And the best way that I can explain it is, um, and I told a really good friend of mine this, I said, if you dropped your children off at my house for two days and I cried after they left, that would be weird, (laughs) you know, because I know that they are going to a safe home, an environment where they're loved and cared for, and I don't have to worry about them. I was like, but these kids came into my home, into our home, and uh, we only had one for two days. One of them we had for seven days. And they were the most, um, it was the most difficult time when we had to let them go because even in that short period of time, we poured so much of who we were 
into them um, that when they left, it felt like a piece of us was leaving the house as well. Um, but we just, we covered, we covered them in prayer. We tried to teach them um, just love and whatever little bit of things that we can instill in them for the short period of time that they were in our home. We just felt like, um, they passed through our doors for a reason. So we wanted to make that time as valuable as we could. So we had those two placements and then, um, it was a while, probably like a couple of months before we got the phone call for our baby girl that we have now. And, um, it makes me emotional even thinking about it because we almost said no, um, because of, um, um, the medical need that was attached to it. And we said that we just didn't feel equipped for anyone that had a lot of like medical, um, need, that needed a lot of medical attention. Um, you know, I didn't feel equipped. My husband didn't feel equipped, especially for our, you know, our first long-term placement. And, um, I don't know what it was. I, I mean, I know what it was now, but, um, we just, we could not say no. We just, it was almost like one of those things where we talked about it. And then I called back and I said, yes. And then I hung up and I'm like, what did I just do? <laughs> it, was like, it was like the words were just forced out of my mouth. Um, because she was in the NICU for four months of the first four months of her life. We literally drove to three and a half hours to another city to pick her up from the hospital. Um, and, and that in itself was a difficult journey because by the time they got there, we got there, they told us to turn around and go home, um, because they could not release her. And again, it was like something inside of me rose up and was like, we're not going home. We're not, what do you need? And, um, the, the, the social worker in me came out because I'm like, okay, it's time to advocate. Like, what do you, what needs to happen? And, um, every state is different, but in this state, whenever you pick up a child from the hospital, the police and a worker from CPS both have to be involved because there has to be like some kind of, I don't know. I just called it like a ceremonial handoff that actually needs to happen. Meaning they have to literally hand the baby to the police officer, the police officer then hands the baby back to, it was strange to watch, but it had to happen um, yeah. to make it legal. And we wanted to make sure everything was done above board. For sure. So yeah. Um, so we, you know, <laughs> we got to the hospital, we, we picked her up. Um, well, we didn't just pick her up. We had to stay for maybe, it was probably about five hours. We spent about five hours in the hospital because they had to go over her, everything that was going on with her, um, her, all, all of her needs, um, everything that she was going, had gone through everything that they were working with her on kind of preparing us for what we needed to do with her on a daily basis. And I know I was feeling overwhelmed. I could look at my husband and I could tell that he was feeling a little overwhelmed and, um, the car seat that they provided us with, because we got a call, we literally got a call on a Tuesday to pick her up on a Friday. We had to purchase baby items yeah. for a brand new newborn baby in a matter of four days. And so I'm talking everything, crib, um, clothes, diapers, like 
like the things that people have a baby shower for. We had right. to get all of that stuff in a matter of four days. And so, um, because we live in the middle of nowhere, um, Amazon prime is not really Amazon prime, even though we have Amazon, <laughs> it doesn't only take two days. Um, so the, uh, car seat that we ordered wasn't not set to arrive until the day after we got home. Um, so the county, our state, I think it is here, provided us with a car seat. Well, the car seat in the base didn't match, and we didn't realize that until we got there. So my husband had to leave the hospital, go to Target, get a car seat. And he said as he was strapping in the base, because um, we didn't strap in the base or anything, we just threw them both in the back seat and we're like <laughs> headed off, you know. And um, so so as he was like strapping in the base, he said he just had a moment where he just like was fighting back tears. Like, what are what are we doing? Like, this is a lot, and we're taking on a lot. And are we even capable of doing this? And um, you know, there were nurses there that wanted to uh, um, be in our place in terms of a. Um, fostering her. Um, but for whatever reason, um, they chose our family over the nurses that were there. There were two nurses actually over the nurses that were there, um, that wanted to take on that role and, uh, leaving, um, the hospital, the nurses were quite, cause they had become attached. She didn't have anyone visiting her or anything. So they, you know, she was just kind of like the one in the NICU that they tried to give like attention to more so than a lot of the other babies that had mom and dad, you know, coming to see them. And, um, so we got her home four months old, eight pounds. So she was like a brand wow. new baby coming home. And in terms of weight, um, and so we got her here and then that just like, we just kind of hit the ground running after that. And we just loved on her as best as she, as best as we could. And I took a lot of the things that I knew from working with families and, um, and, you know, parenting from a developmental aspect and things like that. A lot of the things that I have taught and just tried to like instill them, um, in her use those interventions in our home. Um, and we just kind of worked with her and worked with her until, um, we started seeing like, you know, little buds of progress and things like that. And, you know, we had a, and still have, you know, an occupational therapist that we work with and a behavioral person and a um, vision. She has a vision coach um, because wow. um, she has low vision and um, now a speech therapist and like, you know, all of these, all of these services and, um, people who have been working with her um, before doctors and things like that, when we would take her in for visits would say, wow, this does not seem like the same baby. Like she just it is night and day compared to what she was um, when the last time they had a visit versus where she is now. And, you know, we didn't see it because we're just in the trenches, you know, we're just, we have her here. We're just, you know, loving her, working with her, making sure, you know, advocating for her and making sure that she has the services that she needs and that she's seeing the, not just the doctors, but the right doctors and things like that. And, um, you know, that's what we did for just months and months and months all the while, 
um, kind of waiting for the state to tell us, hey, you know, what's the what's the next step? And um, without going into, you know, too much information with regards to um, her bio parents. Um, right. Just because, you know, we can't. Um, the it changed from um, adoption, um, which they thought it was going to be initially, to reunification. And so this was like six months in. So we've had her for six months. She's 10 months now. And now we find out she may be going back. And so um, our little hearts were, um, I, I don't want to say our hearts were broken because there was some still some semblance of hope inside of us that it was going to work out for the good. Ultimately, we she had our best interest. She has our best interest in hand. Um, I want the best for her. And if the best for her was to be back, then um, my hope would be that would be with the state making the right choice yeah. in terms of... <laughs> In terms of, you know, bio mom having everything together, um, mm-hmm. but there's a history there that showed otherwise. And that's the only reason why I had a lot of reservations. And there was no family, no family. Um, actually, some family members like hung up the phone when the state called, like, will you take this? Yeah, because it's like, no, we um, we can't, you know, so um our hope was that um, everything would work out for the good. And so it took a while. It was a bumpy road. Um, you know, it was a lot of back and forth. Um, but as time went on and they really pushed for reunification, I did um, want her and her bio mom to have um, that bond, or not bond, but more of. Um, I felt like it was important. It was important for her to have that experience and for me to be able to talk to her bio mom and get pictures of them together while she was in a state that that could happen um, just in case it reverted back to, um, to something that was less than favorable. And, um, and it ended up happening that way. It reverted back and, um, they did end up switching the plan back to adoption. And they said that once that happens and rights are terminated, then it pretty much, um, goes from, it doesn't go back from Mm. there. Um, so that's where we're at right now. We're in the stage of just kind of pressing forward and, and, crossing the T's and dotting the I's and doing the necessary things that have to take place, um, after that point. So, and I'm pretty sure I missed a lot because it is a full story and a half. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and we'll, we'll definitely get into all of that. Cause I want to hear about this stuff because I think that you're, you're speaking to the hearts of so many of my listeners who are in this waiting period. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, the, the, the pretty stories are the ones that are on the other side and you talk about how much you've learned and all of this stuff, Mm -hmm. but you're right now you're in the hard stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think you have so much to share because of it. Um, but do you have, do you have a date? Do you have, you know, where are you guys at as far as that timeline goes? No, we have no date at all. And this is just, um, within the last 
month and a half that they have decided to um, to to kind of switch the plan, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there's attorney stuff that needs to happen and motions that need to be written and signed by the judge and all that fun stuff. And now we're approaching holiday season, and people are taking time off, and so um, I'm sure you know. Um, that portion will be extended out. Um, and really it just depends on how fast people, um, on the other end want to go, (laughs) you know, it's almost, it's almost like, well, we know she's in a safe place. We know she's being taken care of. This is not really something that we have to rush with, but on our end, we're like, no, we're ready for you to rush. We're ready for her to have our last name. We're ready (laughs) for it to just be final. I mean, you know, in our hearts, she's our family. She's our little girl. We've had her from the beginning, but it's, I think it's just some Something um, finite about not just knowing it in your heart, but having it on paper. They've already um, they've already deemed us guardians, and we have um, like medical say over what happens to her. So that's a step in the right direction. Um, but all the other stuff, we don't have firm dates or anything. We were hoping by Christmas, but. That's just a hope and a dream. I don't really think that's going to take place. (laughs) So it'll probably be next year. And if I'm being realistic, it'll probably be towards the middle, toward Mm. middle of next year, I'm thinking. That's so hard. But, you know, it's it's part of it. And I think, you know, we know that going in and kind of like what you're talking about. You know, you've you've worked with kids for a long time. You've worked with families for a long time. And um, you knew what you were getting into, but it doesn't make it any easier to deal with no. on the emotion side. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what are what were the highs and lows emotions wise, like the most, you know, selfish feelings to the most wise feelings? Oh, gosh. Um, I think the most... Um selfish feelings were, you know, just being real. Um, we've had her, we've had her since she was four months. We're all she knows. Um, she doesn't know her bio mom. She doesn't know her bio dad. She doesn't know anybody from that side of the family because, um, they were never there. And we were there. So how can you come and say that you're going to take our baby girl away from us and reunify her with people that she doesn't even know, (laughs) you know? And then, um, I think the social worker in me kicked in and that's why I say it's like, I'm wearing two hats because, um, I can really, um, I can relate with those, those raw, like primal feelings of, um, control like I want to control the situation and like she's mine because I had her and I've been taking care of her and I'm the one that's been getting up in the middle of the night and I'm the one that's been working with her on this and making sure she's had the proper medical care for this and and you've been doing what you've been doing (laughs) you know and it hasn't been caring for your little one and um and then that like we said what are the wise thoughts and then it's like that social worker hat comes on and it's and it's like ebony when you came into this you and matthew that's my husband you discussed um the fact that it's not going to be forever. You don't know what is what lies in front of you. And foster is just that. And we said we would provide a safe 
and loving and nurturing home for any child um, that we was able that we were able to bring into our home, whether it be for a short term or whether it be for a long term um, time frame. And um, if they were reunified for whatever reason um, that was outside of our control, then we just kind of had to to roll with those punches. And, you know, on a spiritual side, I just had to understand that I love this little girl um, with all of my heart. And, um, but I feel like I serve a God that is so much bigger than um, my feelings and, and loves me and loves her more than I ever could. So um, the intention in all of this is not for us to be hurt. The intention in all of this is not for her to be hurt, but he has a purpose and a plan for her as well. And if that's outside of our home, then um, all we can do is just pray for her and be okay with that. So. Amen. Like, first of all, just all that. I, I wish that I could have heard those words. Um, back when we were going through that, that period of time. And, um, you know, we, I probably did, but it's so hard to remember those things when you're in the emotions and when you're feeling that fear, um, because fear can do so much damage. I think so much more than we give it the, you know, that we give it the mental power. You know, we, we look at fear and we're like, it's not that big of a deal, but it is so, it's so harmful to our, livelihood into our hope and to our parenting and just all of these things. So to keep that in mind is so strong and wise, like what we were talking about. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about just your family dynamics. So you have, you have one little girl right now, right? How long have you guys been married? Uh, it will be six years next year. Wow. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. And so fill us in, um, you know, with adoption, you said that your husband was adopted. So I'm fascinated. What, so, um, what nationality were your husband's parents, adoptive parents? Um, his, his adoptive. Okay. So his story is very unique within itself. Um, his biological mother is um, German and his father is black. Okay. But he was adopted by his biological father's sister. So his aunt, his family still had him. Um, but he was raised his he was raised by his aunt. So his aunt, his maternal aunt or his paternal aunt is, um, his, who he calls mom. Okay. Gotcha. So then, and then you are black as well. And your daughter is, I, it's hard to tell from pictures because I know you're not supposed to like yeah. in pictures. Yeah. She is, I am, um, I'm black. My mom is black and my dad is Puerto Rican and um, our baby girl is Hispanic. So we think that she's from Mexico, but she's very, very fair. Okay. Very fair, like pink fair. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, yes. <laughs> I bet that ha- causes some skin type confusion in your family. <laughs> like lotion and skincare. You're like, oh, what do I do here? <laughs> I was so nervous when we took her to the we took her to the beach for her first birthday. We took her to San Diego and I because she's so fair. I was so nervous to have her in the sun because I'm like, I, all I know how to do with is melanin. I don't know what to do. <laughs> 
thing. And then um, my husband's brother, his girlfriend talked about how she gets sunburned even in the part of her hair. That's how fair she's. And I was like, that's a thing? I didn't know. <laughs> I was like, what am I saying? what am I supposed to do? So we just like let poor baby girl, we just lathered her down with like an excessive amount of, um, um, what is it? Sunscreen. The sunscreen. Yes. And which took me forever to, uh, do research on because I wanted to make sure that it was a sunscreen that didn't have a bunch of harmful chemicals and all this stuff in it. It was a process. It was yeah. such a process. So yes. And now her hair is, I call her like my little cockatoo baby. Cause her hair is like doing all this stuff. And I'm like, well, I can't just put, you know, some grease in it and lay it down and brush it. So it's just like flying everywhere. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Okay, so I love this conversation so much, and this is one of the reasons I was really excited to talk to you, because so often when you talk to adoptive moms, it's the opposite, right? Like, you're you're having white moms who are dealing with different ethnicities and how to take care of their skin and how to take care of their hair, and it's opposite for you, and I love hearing yeah. different perspectives. So what is that like? I mean, what are the looks that you get or the comments that you get from others when you and your family are out and about? Well, we haven't gotten any comments, and... Not yet. Well, I take that back. We have gotten some covert comments, very, you know, covert things that you can't really, (laughs) yeah, you can't really put your finger on it. Um, but nothing, nothing outright or nothing that I can say, Hmm, that wasn't, you know, like that wasn't appropriate. Um, but look, we do get looks and we have gotten looks and, um, especially where we live. Um, it's been, interesting. Um, but I think the most obvious were when we were in DC on vacation, it was very apparent that people were, um, kind of giving us the look to try to kind of figure it out. And it's also very funny and interesting because, um, because my husband is in the military and we're, um, in a, you know, a military community, um, we get a lot of looks and I just know the thoughts that go through people's head, you know, is that theirs? Is that hers and someone else's? Is that his and someone else's? Is that- <laughs> no, she's ours only. <laughs> um, but the sweetest comment that we've ever gotten was when we were in um, California and we were at the beach and we were just spending time as a family in our little tent and the, Um, there was a lady that was next to us with her family and she walked up to us and said, you have the most beautiful family I have ever seen. And she's like, I do not want you to think I'm weird in any way. And she was just overly apologetic and very (laughs) humble and said, but I took some beautiful pictures, just some moments that I thought that you would love to have. Would you mind if I text them to you? And she texted me, um, the pictures that she'd taken of us. And she, she did, she captured some really amazing moments. You know, those moments that really are key not just the kind that you set your phone up and act like it's a candy. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was very, very um, thankful and appreciative of her. So, yeah. 
That's really, oh, that's so awesome. And I think that, you know, those are the kinds of comments that can redeem all the confusing ones because while, I mean, for me, I am uh, in a, a different situation than you for sure. But as an adoptive mom, I would almost rather people just ask me than yeah. give me the looks or try to figure things out. And I have a lot of kids that are like the same age. And so a lot of people just assume that I'm a babysitter or something like that. And again, I know it's different than your story, but it's hard when, when people make assumptions about your family or when people, um, I don't know, just give you the looks or get, make the comments, but don't just ask the questions. And, um, I think that we as adoptive moms, we're so used to educating others on our stories and on what we're going through. Um, and I don't know, I, I would prefer when people would give me the opportunity to do that again, rather than making assumptions. But, um, so I was going to ask, you know, if ethnicity factored into the, the children, you know, the boxes you checked on the form when you're uh, applying for foster care, opening up your home for foster care, but I, it didn't, I'm guessing because you have, a yeah. What were, what ethnicity were your other two children? Um, one was Hispanic, um, and actually they both were Hispanic and it's, it's the area. I think it's just the area mm-hmm. that we're in, um, which kind of, I don't know that I think that played into it, um, a lot. Um, uh, but there are, cause we have gotten phone calls. We, we still get phone calls for the teenagers and I'm like, no, I'm not ready. But, <laughs> and, um, And there has been um, a mix, but now that we have her, it's kind of like so much of our time and energy goes into caring for her that we, we just don't have the, I don't think the mental capability nor the, um, a week, like the, uh, the ability in terms of, um, energy to, to bring another one into our home right now. Like we're still trying to figure this this whole thing out with sleep and yeah. and work and you know and her and so yeah I don't know it's no joke at all like <laughs> caring for a baby especially one with like higher medical needs oh my gosh like I I've been there I'm still there kind of at least they mostly sleep through the night but I'm also a really hard sleeper so my poor husband is the one that gets woken up oh, oh god. <laughs> Ours is vice versa. Yes. And he, I just look over and he's sleeping so peacefully and, (laughs) and I'm like, she just whimpered. You didn't hear that. (laughs) She rolled over in her room. You didn't hear that. (laughs) That's me though. And my husband's like, I was up all night and I'm like, really? I slept great. I don't understand. I will say, though, um, he does give me the weekends. He gives me the weekends to sleep in. And even though, like, I'm the one that gets up throughout the week, I know that when Saturday and Sunday come, (laughs) I can sleep in because he will get up. So, which means, which says to me that he can turn it off and on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, boys. Um Okay, so the next thing I wanted to ask you about was, you know, so you like like we've discussed, you're black, your your daughter is Hispanic or Latinx, and so you are a woman of color raising a woman of color. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the important things that you want to instill in her as she grows, not just as a woman, which is already a whole thing, but also mm-hmm. as a woman of color? Oh, I want to instill in her, her heritage, Mm. um, which is why we have been 
I'm really into books. I'm really into um, reading. And, you know, if I would have had her sooner, I would have been reading to her, you know, as soon as we brought her home. But, um, or I'm sorry, like, you know, as soon as she was a newborn or whatever the case may be, but uh, we got her at four months. So the day that we brought her home, the first thing that we did was we started reading to her. We started getting things in our hands. We started, you know, um, moving her feet around, getting those gross motor skills going, um, fine motor skills by having her grab on the, her little rattles and things like that. And um, most importantly, um, speaking to her in Spanish. Now, neither my husband or I speak Spanish and um, I feel gypped because my grandmother speaks to me in Spanish now. And I'm like, it's too late, grandma. I don't, you never, you never spoke to me in Spanish as a child. And so, um, yeah. So to say, so you've got, you've got that heritage. If you yeah. didn't, that's unfair. <laughs> Um, so, um, so I have gotten books and I have, um, I downloaded an app on my phone and, you know, just little things like that. I'm not fluent. Um, but I, I give her what I have mm -hmm. right now. And as she gets older, my goal is to provide her with opportunity. Cause I, I would love for her to be bilingual. Like that would be my goal for her. Um, so my goal is to provide her with opportunity. So she does have that and she doesn't lose that. I don't even know if her, um, bio mom speaks Spanish or not. Um, I, I, I really honestly can't say for sure. She's never spoken it to me. She's never, you know, um, in alluded to the fact that she does, uh, or doesn't, but it's something that I want her to have. And so, um, you know, she even has like little things in her room with regards to her heritage and, and her history and things like that. So that's very important for me, for her to, to have that and be able to hold on to that. That, and that's amazing. And I, I, I've heard that before from other, um, other adoptive moms, who have friends that are the same ethnicity as their children. And they say that, you know, they need to see who they are all around them in your house in their, in the mm -hmm. books they read, especially like representations and the, the toys that they play with the dolls that they have, the decorations. And, um, yes. I think that as, especially as a white person that can feel really, uh, intimidating maybe, or like appropriation or something like that. And so it sounds like even though that's not as foreign to you as it would be for me, that that's, that's important for you to push through those, those fears or those intimidations to just do what's best for your daughter. Absolutely. And, you know, um, like I said, I don't, it's not, um, it's not a gift that I have, um, of being, of being bilingual. So even reading to her, there's certain words where I'm like, Ooh, I don't know how to pronounce it that and I don't want to mispronounce it to her and have her pick up you know <laughs> and pick up the wrong way of saying things and so you know I constantly like will reference back to my app or sometimes I'll just skip over words I'm like we're gonna skip that for today and we'll go to the next page <laughs> um, but um but yes, it is. And I mean, even if I have to like bring someone in, um, I really tried to get a bilingual nanny, um, which was, it was hard to find the nanny that I have now. And I love her so much. And she doesn't speak, um, she doesn't speak Spanish, unfortunately, but I tried really hard to find someone bilingual, but here it's very slim pickings mm -hmm. in terms of really good quality, um, care 
for your kids, somebody that you can trust, you know, to, to be with them, um, during the day. So, yeah, I love hearing all of these things. And so, you know, before we move to these closing questions, I just wanted to ask you, um, especially as a black woman, what are, what are things that white parents can do better? Um, just in general, because I think that we can all agree that white people and parents can do better. So what are, what are some of those things that you would say? Cause I know that there's, there's a huge debate right now, just in the adoption world about saying that, you know, maybe white parents shouldn't adopt black children because we're not, we're doing a terrible job or, you know, whatever. And I'd love to know your feelings on that. And also just, like I said, just advice on how, um, I know we can change the stigma and change this culture. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would be able to speak from the perspective of all black women. This is my, <laughs> yeah. this is my own personal um, view on that. And I think it would come from more of a place of being a social worker and understanding the huge need that we have um, in the foster care system and how so many kids are being, are slipping through the cracks and just, they remain in the system and for years and years and years. And it's unfortunate, you know, or they're bounced around from home to home and it's, it's unnecessary. And so there's a huge need for homes. There's a huge need for foster parents as well as foster adopt parents. Um, and I think I come more from the perspective of, um, any child that you bring into your home. If you are, um, a mixed race home, like we are that, like we talked about, you know, you respect that child's culture and that child's heritage and that child's background and that you bring that to the table when you bring that child into your home. Um, what stands out to me the most is, um, a family that I worked with, um, and it was a little a little boy. He was part of a larger sibling set, but he stood out to me mostly because um, I remember I was sitting there doing a home visit, and um, he was black. The family was white that was um, caring for him, and he saw the biological baby crying and crying and crying and crying until he comes up and he lays on his foster mom's lap and he says, are we going to take this one back? And my heart just imploded on itself because I think he's maybe like four years old. Um, for him to have that thought of Oh, if you're bad or if you cry or if you do something wrong, then you go back mm. said so much to me in terms of um, the need that we have for families. And so I don't know if I'm a matchy, like your family has to match <laughs> kind of person um, because my family didn't match growing up. My husband's family definitely didn't match um, growing up in our family does not match. And, um, I think it's so much more important that your, um, that your family goes together. Like, this is how I do my fashion. You know, I'm not a matchy matchy person. I don't do red, white, red, white. My outfits have to go. And so <laughs> as long as your family goes together, <laughs> I think you are, you're in a good place. But, um, 
I think the harm, there's only harm that's done if you strip somebody of who they are as a person and you don't try to incorporate that into their day-to-day functioning and you help them understand um, if there is a plight, what that looks like for them and not, um, I don't think we can, we don't live in a world where you can say, uh, I don't see color. You know, we see color. We are aware that it's there. Um, and I think that's the beauty of it is that we see it and we are aware of it and, and it's okay. It doesn't have to be a thing, but there are things that happen, um, when you neglect to do so, when you neglect to see color, I think that's when the problem happens. That's where the issue happens. And that's where the harm can potentially happen. I seriously had chills whenever you said that a second ago, just that the only harm that's done is done when you strip a person of who they are. I think that that is so important and so impactful and something that everyone needs to hear because like I said before, I think that there is this intimidation or this fear and as, as someone in the adoption community, and I'm sure you can agree, I think that we're in the business of, of stripping away those stigmas and just saying like, look, let's get rid of all this gunk so we can just do what's best for these kids and do what's best for our families. And let's stop being afraid to just talk to each other um, or just ask what's best, ask how we can do better um, instead of just going with it and like, just turning a blind eye to any warning signs or whatever else. And, um, but I love that. I love, uh, I love the idea of, especially something you said earlier, bringing other people in that can help you, uh, to know what's, what's best. And I had a friend the other day, actually, she posted on Facebook and she's a white adoptive mom with a black daughter who's a teenager. And she said, Hey, uh, for my friends of color, what are some books that your teenage girls really love to read that represents who they are? And I was heartbroken in the comments because it was like so many white women just commenting their input. And instead of instead of allowing the people who actually know what they're talking about to be able to step in and help this mom with what she's asking. And I think that when we open the door and allow people to, to talk to each other and to say, um, I don't know, things that will help each other, then we're doing, we're doing right by our kids and our families. Yeah. And people, you know, they have to be open. They have to be open because, um, what concerns me is it's the people that, have the issue with um, the way a family is structured that aren't stepping up at all to make any change. So I'm like, until you step up and you open your home and you are a part of the solution, then I really feel like you should probably just maybe go take a time out and, (laughs) (laughs) and, and exercise what they taught us in kindergarten, which is if you don't have something nice to say, then you just don't say anything at all. That's the teaser quote right there. That's the one. (laughs) Maybe just take a time out. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, girl. Are you ready to get into some of these closing questions? Yes. (laughs) Cool. So if you could look your past self, and this question is funny because I saw your Instagram post today about your past self, but if you could look your past self in the eye and just tell her something that you wish you had known at the beginning, what would it be? Oh, gosh. Um, 
with regards to adoption or just life in general? <laughs> you can give <laughs> both. Gives, that's I, fine. That question can go really deep, <laughs> really fast. <laughs> um, you know, I would say, baby girl, everything is temporary. Because when you are in the moment and something is going on, you feel like you can't see the forest through the trees. Like there is nothing, there's nothing past that. But um, everything is, everything has an end. Everything has an end point. And so that's what I would tell my, my, my younger self um, from the place that I am right now is just understanding that um, whatever it is that you go through in life, um, feelings are fleeting, um, jobs are fleeting, um, relationships can be fleeting. Um, everything is, everything is for a moment. Um, yeah, nothing lasts forever. That's good stuff. Um, so on the flip side, what do you wish you had done differently? As a kid? As, as someone starting out in your adoption journey. Oh, um, I think, I think it kind of goes to, um, what I just said a little while ago, because one of the things that I went through, and it's funny that you um, talked about fear earlier is because I think I was so riddled by fear of someone knocking on my door one day and just saying, Oh, even though, you know, I know that I know cognitively it doesn't happen like this, but you know, fear is irrational. And so, you know, I would just have this burning fear of someone just knocking on the door and saying, okay, that's it. You're, you know, your time with baby girl is over. And I worried myself into severe debilitating migraines to mm. the point where I couldn't even, um, I couldn't even care for her. We had to, um, fly my husband's mom out, um, to help with, to help us because I was in the bed, shutters shut, door closed, mask over my eyes, under the covers, because I couldn't function. Um, the migraines were so bad and so debilitating. And it was nothing more than just stress and worry and fear. And so just um, rather than just taking it one day at a time, rather than just saying, okay, you know what? I don't know what tomorrow holds, but today we're good. Like you're here, we're playing, we're family, everything's all good, you know, and allowing whatever came the next day to come and deal with that at that time, rather than this unforeseen event, <laughs> you know, worrying about this unforeseen event that, um, you know, obviously has never taken place. So yeah, that's what, that's what I would say. I love that. It's in, I mean, it's interesting to think about just the effects that that kind of stress or uh, worry or fear can have on your physical body as well as just your emotional health. And so um, it's, it's good stuff to remember. Um, so I always ask next what the best and worst things that your, your people did for you or how they supported you throughout your process. So, you know, your favorite way that they supported you to the like least helpful thing. 
Um, unfortunately, we don't have people because we are, it's just us in the state and we have no one here. All of my friends are back home and I miss them very much. Um, but we did feel supported from afar. Um, we felt very supported from afar and, um, you know, when people found out, um, that we were caring for our baby girl, they were more than ecstatic to, um, call us with well wishes and, you know, and this was just in the foster process. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of our family, you know, when you're family, you're family, it doesn't matter if you're a foster child or, right. or whatever foster child can come back. 15 years later and say, I was in your home for two days and it doesn't matter. You're like, (laughs) your family, come on in. Um, but, um, I had friends that would send these beautiful cards and, um, books and just like little cute little outfits and things like that for her. Um, you know, it was just, it was, it was very sweet. Um, how our, our, we have, my husband has a huge, huge family, big family, but he has a huge family and the way that they just kind of rallied, uh, rallied around us. And his mom came out a lot, um, to help us out, uh, in the beginning as well. And, um, so I think family just kind of being there and being supportive and let them letting us know that they have our back, um, was, was huge for us. And I think it would have been a lot different if we were all in the same state, but we appreciated, um, you know, what they did, um, cause they did what they could, especially with the distance, you know, between us. So. Yeah. Oh, and I love that though, that she came out so much cause it's, I mean, not to compare it to, you know, like having a baby, a biological baby, but that is, I mean, that's what you would expect. And I love that she was like, you know what, I don't even know how long this little girl's going to be here, but I'm going to be her grandmother. And oh, yeah. that's beautiful to me. Um, what would be just the least help, the least helpful thing that you've experienced, you know, what not to do, so to speak? Um, I, (laughs) I did have, um, a friend, I would say more like a loose associate kind of, um, (laughs) make a comment that was pretty off putting to me, um, in terms of her being in our home, um, whether it was foster or whether it was adoption, um, she mentioned, oh, you know, I didn't think that she was going to be there for that long. And so when she said that to me, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I felt like, well, your response to us having a child in our home or your lack of response to us having a child in our home was because you didn't think that she was going to be in the house for that long. So, um, it's just very night and day, um, Mm -hmm. compared to what our family, the way that our, our family embraced the situation, um, versus the way that she did. And and I have some pretty amazing people around me. I have some pretty amazing friends and, um, our family is great. And so I think I would say that's a win to have like one, um, faux pas. Yeah, for real. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) So just to sum it all up, if you had one piece of advice or encouragement to, to mama's just getting into this, what would you say? I'm just getting into the adoption process. Yeah. Um, Or maybe even just, yeah, the, the the process or, or getting into this waiting period that can be so tumultuous. 
Mm. Um, I would say above all, um, take each day for what it is and try to be present and be in the moment. Because when we allow ourselves to get outside of that into a place of worrying about future events that have not even taken place, it robs you from what's in front of you. Um, And if there is a time where that child is reunified, you want to look back and say, I didn't waste three months, six months, one year of the time that I had with that child worrying about this moment. And I wasn't able to fully be present and enjoy their presence in my home. Um, it, it just, it robs you, you know, I would say just be mindful of that and, um, being with them. You know, I think that's the most important thing is like just looking at their little faces and being with them and enjoying that moment with them right then and right there. So, yeah. Oh my goodness. Good, good stuff. Miss Ebony Clayton. And for, you know, for those of you who are Patreon supporters, we're about to go and have a super fun conversation. I have some really uh, fun questions planned for you, but for the rest of you, where can we find you on social media and see, I would say cute photos of her, but you know, it's like the, you know, half of her face (laughs) photo. Uh, I will say though, you guys listen, her bow game is strong. (laughs) (laughs) You have the cutest like head wraps and stuff. Oh my goodness. Okay. You, but seriously, where can we find you? (laughs) Um, my Instagram is it's Ebby. Um, it's, it's underscore Ebby. And, uh, yes, we are not allowed to show her face, but I cannot wait until we are able to reveal. I always get the little comments. I can't wait to meet the mystery baby. (laughs) (laughs) And some of those pictures and videos, just honestly, I don't even try. It just works out where her face is just kind of like, just turn just enough to where you can't tell exactly what she looks like. So, um, so yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I can tell she's cute. So that's, that's good. Um, okay guys, thank you so much for listening in on my conversation with Ebony Clayton and I will talk to you guys later. Thanks Ebony. Thank you. so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.